Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book reviewer, podcaster and top bloke, Anthony Pollock, about what comics he would take into a super-intelligent ape uprising apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. The first I Love Comics Digital Con 2021 will be taking place on Saturday the 13th and Sunday the 14th of February from 8am till 6pm on the Comic Scene Community Facebook group, the link of which is available in the show notes, of course. Uh, The event is completely free and comic fans will have the opportunity to give their views on the top 40, share what they are reading, recommend comic titles and chat with other comic fans. And on a side note, if you are a creator yourself and would like to do a talk or have a Q&A room for I love for the I love comics digital con 2021, uh, be sure to email comicsceneuk at gmail.com for more details on how to get involved. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Anthony Pollock. How's it going? Good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Hanging in there. Um, we're having a good old chinwag about the state state of the world. The oh, sh- yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a thing. You got to love um, how how I mean, it's horrible that of all the the sort of the um, the mountains of sort of people that are, are dying because of inadequate governments. But um, apart from that, it's turning out to be the most boring apocalypse in existence. So yeah, <laughs> isn't it? Just stay at home. That's um, it. Yeah. Uh, it's very Pretty. day of the Triffids. It seriously is, seriously is. Yeah. Um, but uh, all of that aside, um, I'm really excited to, to have you on the podcast. Um, and for anybody that hasn't come across you just yet, what do you do in the world of comics? Uh, yeah, I guess my contributing team would say I probably do too much. So um, about uh, about three years ago, I started a website called Soda and Telepaths. The original idea was to uh, write articles, just me, uh, about uh, my favourite era of uh, the X-Men and anything mutant related. But after the first sort of five articles, um, you know, uh, the beauty of the internet is I had indie companies hitting me up, hey, have you ever thought of reviewing this and that and the other? So pretty soon it turned into a website where uh, we review all sorts of uh, different comic books, uh, whether they're indie or whether they're a larger publisher, although I try to give more room and breathing space for the smaller publishers because, um, I mean, we don't really need to do much more for DC and Marvel, do we? Do we really think <laughs> that, that uh, I mean, do they have enough publicity by now? Probably not. I guess you've got to think about those guys. But no, um, yeah, so, so from... From there, we uh, I had sort of one guy that from the UK, funnily enough, not quite sure what happened to him, but he's just like, hey, could I write for your website? And then that didn't last very long. But then a couple of um, uh, other people uh, would hit me up about it. And then pretty soon we got to a sort of a team around sort of five to ten, depending on, you know, where people are at with their lives. Sometimes interest is there and the interest wanes and they 
might tap out for a couple of months. But nowadays we have about 10 people writing for the site. So it's sutterandtollpass.com if anyone wants to check that out. Um, Apart from that, I'm also uh, uh, putting together an anthology which you, Sam, would have absolutely no interest in um, called uh, Producing (laughs) the End of the World where um, it's uh, basically um, my pitch uh, as far as the anthology is concerned. It's going to do what what sort of like heavy metal did back in the day where I guess um, uh, that Peace, Love and Robots uh, show on Netflix did in terms of different right. takes on uh, the apocalypse. So um, we've had quite a few... Um, We've had about 80 or 90 different people who have uh, put in pictures and things like that. So I'm, while I'm going to contribute some of the stories, it's only going to be about two two or three, and the rest I'm going to be, I guess, curating and editing. Mm. So putting that together, and then I've got a couple of other uh, comic books that are sort of in the pipe. Uh, One of them could be best described as a... Doom Patrol meets Westworld kind of vibe, which um, nice. you've probably seen on my profile. It's called Half Cells. We're about fourteen pages in, um, and then we've uh, then I've got another comic book where it's where I'm working with a uh, artist who's um, uh, she's her credits include uh, well I guess the main one is uh, she did a Top Cow short story. So yeah, that should Great. be fun. So. I do a couple of things. A few things, keep it, yeah. keeping yourself busy, certainly. <laughs> um, and uh, for, for all the listeners at home, where can they find you online? Online, uh, the, probably the, I guess the focal point is uh, on Twitter, uh, at Soda Telepaths, so S-O-D-A-T-E-L-E-P-A-T-H-S. Um, if you just want to go direct to the website, you can go that way too. But if you sort of want to find the most up-to-date articles and such, uh, we always post them on that Twitter. But, um, yeah, sodaandtollpass.com as well. Perfect. And uh, those links are in the show notes as always, folks. So go follow Anthony, uh, look at his Twitterings, and check out Soda and Telepass uh, website as well. Uh, now, all of that aside... Anthony, I've got some bad news on top of the current pandemic that we're living through. <laughs> right. Um, that uh, there's actually been a super intelligent ape uprising at the same time as all of this going on. Right. And unfortunately, the epicenter for this is uh, Australia. Of course it is. Of course it um, is. I mean, now, have, you, have you seen the people that live in Penrith? Of course. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, thank, thankfully in some ways, it's actually just starting out in Sydney. So I know that you're a few, a couple of hours north of, of Sydney, aren't you? Um, yes. So you've, yeah. you've maybe got a little bit of time um, yeah, to, yeah, maybe, to get things together. But what's your action plan for survival? My action plan for survival is uh, after seeing way too many Planet of the Apes movies and the TV show, I would take the route of uh, just pretending to be one of the human slaves because, I mean, it's going to happen. I would just um, be sort of the the human slave that would try to not end up being the the kind of the, the butt putty of the 
super intelligent apes. So that would be my main plan because, I mean, there's something to be said about trying to survive by escaping and all that type of stuff. But um, I guess this is where my nihilism comes into play. I mean, aren't we all slaves to the system of some point, Sam, aren't we? So Exactly. Yeah if that's not depressing enough. I've got to say this, though. Super intelligent apes seems uh, a heck of a lot more interesting than, you know, um, <laughs> what's, currently than, going than what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and so um, you're, you're now hanging out um, in, in true Planet of the Apes style, hanging out in the cells that they hold you in the super intelligent apes and you're, you're hanging out with all of the other human slaves yes. Yes. and you get, you get reminiscing about um, the days of, of human civilization um, before, before the ape uprising. Um, and you get all get talking about, you know, what you were doing beforehand and, you know, the fact that um, you were, you were in comics came up um, and yep. everybody gets interested. And the first question they ask you is what's the first comic you remember enjoying? So yeah, I thought the first question they'd be like is how do we read these things? But um, uh, the first comic I remember enjoying, um, I would probably have to say, I mean, everyone likes to do the whole, oh, you read, you know, Spawn or X-Men or something like that. But um, mm-hmm. for me, I think it would probably either be The Phantom or Tintin, to be honest. So uh, The Phantom is probably just a hallmark to my earliest memories of finding like a sort of like a three to five pa- uh, three to five panel sort of uh, comic strip in like the back of a newspaper or the middle of a newspaper so there's that um but i i think i tintin is probably the first sort of thing i remember actively having you know needing to have so uh i mean it had science fiction it had sort of mystery it had you know Tintin needing to sort of capture the bad guy at the end it even had some sort of really French absurdist jokes and quips and scenes in there as well um and it's probably it's probably the very first comic book series that where I owned in in its entirety so uh yeah yeah i'd say say it would be tintin um i mean although in later on when i was about 10 how old are you sam uh 36 36 so i'm not sure if you got it over there but we got a tintin tv show over here oh yeah yeah yeah. we got funnily enough made in canada so I recently rewatched it and I'm just like, oh, okay, so Tintin's Canadian. Okay, so so that happened. So um uh so the the sorries and the um and the rights are uh, all over that that cartoon. But um I just came mm-hmm. to uh, came to my attention that when I was reading that comic, I was actually sort of at least in towards teens I was actually reading it through the voices of those characters uh, um out of that tv show so yeah that's um that's that's where it all started for me that's brilliant and kind of what age were you when you were really kind of getting into it Tintin probably yeah it's probably eight eight 
eight to yeah, I think the earlier stage was about eight years old. I think that's realistically that's when you can really that's when you really start reading, isn't it? I mean, there are parents out there that say their kids started reading from the age of you know four and five, but realistically, I think that's sort of the age um, eight yeah, years old. Definitely. When you probably yeah. start to get into it, and so at yeah. that age, were, were you having kind of dreams of creating your own comics or or anything like that? Um, I don't think so. I think it was more dreams about joining the adventure. Um, yeah. Because I mean, Tintin for those who haven't read it, um, clearly ha- haven't been into a school library in about thirty years. Um, it's very much an adventure-driven story that went for, I think, um, 60 or 70 pages. I feel like it was Tintin and, funnily enough, your last episode um, where you had uh, the guy from the 77 comic, um, he talked about Asterix being one of his first things. So for me, whenever I went to a school library, uh, I was stoked because I could pick up the latest Tintin or, you know, if I wanted to, I could pick up an Asterix book. So, yeah, yeah. So joining this, but, uh, yeah, joining the, the adventure was the thing that most interested me. Um, I hadn't really gotten into, I guess, the the sort of the analysing of the of Tintin and I guess looking at the fact that, you know, there were, at some, pa- some case there were 20 panels on one page. It wasn't quite at that point yet, but, um, <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. And so when when did the the drive come in to actually start creating your own comics? Um not until really recently, to be honest. Um I've yeah. always been a fan of um you gotta find your own story, you gotta find your I guess your own sort of emotional truth when it mm-hmm. comes to any sort of creating. Um yeah, I didn't really find something that I that I kind of wanted to, or story I wanted to tell until about probably about uh, over a year ago when I first started writing the script for Half Cells. Um, Great. Uh, I guess the most and now I'm in the the most frustrating part of the comic book creation process where you're waiting for the artist to finish up their their side and you're just kind of like, come on, man, um, <laughs> I finished this a year ago. What are you doing? But uh yeah yeah that's uh that's where i'm at oh that's fantastic and so so where did the inspiration come for that story in particular um for that inspiration um it came from uh sort of uh well firstly it came from i guess doom patrol um I'm a big Doom Patrol and I guess Misfits as a whole fan when it comes to to that type of stuff. So um, it came from that. It also uh, came from, uh, I guess, any sort of dystopian sort of story as well. So um, and I guess sort of the need to create sort of a sort of a, a story that meshes everything that I like. Nice. Um, well, I'm I'm very much looking looking forward to to reading it when it's out. So you'll have to you'll have to let me know, and we'll uh, we'll get you back on for a second apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, mate. Definitely. Uh, now, um, moving on uh, to our next question: Back in the cages of the apes, um, what's the funniest comic that you've read? Um, 
the funniest. I would say it's a close tie between superior foes of Spider-Man and Quantum and Woody. Um, for those who aren't really familiar with either of those, I guess, miniseries, Superior Foes of Spider-Man is a fun comic series where it stars all of the uh, enemies of Spider-Man who failed utterly in trying to, to defeat Spider-Man. And in a lot of cases, it's uh, sort of six sort of foes, so it's sort of a kind of a play on the, um, I guess, the Sinister Six, but it's the 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 enemies of Spider-Man that have just failed utterly. There's uh, foes of Spider-Man in there that have, uh, that were, you know, captured and uh, thrown in jail by Spider-Man uh, after just one attempt and things like that. But I guess it's sort of a, a clan of sort of uh, foes of Spider-Man who are trying to sort of make ends meet. They're trying to figure out where they fit within the sort of the, the New York uh, villain, I guess, uh, uh uh, I guess uh, the the uh, uh, where they fit in terms of uh, what uh, where they go from here, whether they try to turn off and turn over a new leaf, whether they try to become you know uh, you know super intelligent, um, uh, I guess villains and things like that. So um, it's it's uh, it's a great. I think it went for six issues, but I mean that's lots of fun. And then out through uh, Valiant Entertainment is uh, is uh, the Quantum and Woody sort of miniseries. They've done two separate miniseries so far. The most recent one is um, it's about Quantum and Woody uh, ones. They're basically sort of adopted sort of brothers who um, encounter this sort of this uh, I guess this energy particle that sort of uh renders them in in a in a situation where they have to sort of uh touch um by clanging this sort of this bracelet together to make sure they don't use so sorry they don't lose molecular integrity so it's kind of it's kind of like uh it's it's very much odd couple sort of stuff but with like two people trying to be superheroes one of them quantum he's the one with all the special abilities and Woody he's more the sort of the con artist who's constantly coming up with schemes of ways to they can increase their popularity because in his view with popularity comes money so so you can I mean to give you a bit of an idea like uh they're one of their biggest villains in the series is this uh this uh professor this evil professor who is a skull who looks like the worst version of Brainiac that you could ever set your eyes upon. Um, so, yeah, it's it's good fun. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's one that I haven't um, really come across before. So that's I'm gonna have to get into that for sure. It looks like a lot of fun. Please do. Highly recommend it. Awesome, mate. Um, now, uh, changing gears. Um, what's the saddest comic that you've read? Um, yeah, I'm not sure if you've, if you're familiar with much out of Boom Studios, but, um, Jim Henson's The Storyteller Ghosts miniseries that went for four issues is sort of a, 
uh, well, Star Wars, it's very Jim Henson, but the specific issue, issue number three, is about this this sort of this um, kid who loses his mum and then his mum is kind of haunting him as this kind of this ghostly apparition that's kind of keeping an eye on him. At the same time, his dad, who I believe is a minor in the issue, um, uh, M-I-N-E-R, um, he, yeah. uh, he dies as well. And so this kid ends up with his grandma, who is also in in the middle of dying herself. So it's very much a, and then towards the end of it, he's kind of being watched over by this sort of this family of ghosts. So it's upsetting in the way that they, that, you know, his family keeps dying. It's the most unlucky kid in the world. But on the other side of things, it's also kind of charming in a way because it shows sort of the, I guess it gives you a sort of an air of, uh, contentment in the way that um of what the afterlife could look like and how the memories of people that you love doesn't really leave it just stays with you so it's kind of i'm not sure if that's the narrative that they were going for but um uh the writer but that's definitely what i got out of it and then there's also uncanny x-men um uh issue 340 which was which for me was probably the first comic book where i went oh okay so you can write story in comic book form and it doesn't have to be superheroes. It doesn't have to be action. I mean, yes, it, there are superheroes in this because obviously it's the X-Men, but the entire mm. issue is about Iceman learning to deal with the fact that his dad is in a coma and he might not come out of it and maybe the X-Men just just isn't for him anymore. And from memory, I believe this comic book actually won quite a few Wizard Awards back when Wizard was a thing. So, yeah. yeah. That's fantastic, yeah. Um, No, it's really cool when um, you find out that, you know, superhero comics can be more than just, you know, saving the day. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Subverting your expectations. And I feel like it means more to me now those types of things because I, I very much sort of um and i know it's a bit taboo to say this because i you know run a sort of a uh, a blog reviewing comic books but i'm for me personally i'm mostly tapped out of the superhero uh yeah. thing as a, as a whole i don't know what's really ruined that i think maybe uh i mean we could blame the the movies, but I don't really think that's it because I, I love the MCU movies and even the DCU movies as well. Um, so yeah. I don't think it's that. I think it's just more sort of repeat disappointment in yeah. where certain writers and creators are taking the characters that you love the most. And, I mean, mm. this seems like a sort of a, you know, a frustration that I'm repeating and echoing of a lot of sort of uh you know comic book fans but for me uh the latest x-men run by hickman was a golden opportunity to explore a lot of established b-list characters which have for the most part just been left in the wayside and has sort of been relegated to 
being in the background as some sort of, you know, double page montage. So, yeah, I think after the first sort of 10 issues of that, I just sort of tapped out. Yeah. So enough's enough. (laughs) Pretty (laughs) much. uh, Yeah. Take take a break for a little while because it might be worth revisiting like five years time and perhaps fresher storylines or something. Well, that's it. And don't get me wrong, I'll always uh, pick up a Wolverine and a Cable comic because those those two, sure. they're my guys. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, yeah um, otherwise, yeah, mostly tapped out of it. Fair play, fair play. Uh, now, uh, going back to the cages, uh, the next question that crops up is, what's the scariest comic that you've read? So I actually put down The Walking Dead for this as my answer, but... The more I think about it, The Boys is also probably equally on par with it. So The Walking Dead is obviously, if you haven't seen the show, then you probably read the comic book or vice versa. So The Walking Dead is scary for obviously the zombie element and the narrative around what people will do in certain situations. It's basically, you know, the the comic book version of what George Romero was saying in his zombie movies for decades. It's the people, the zombies aren't the problem. It's the people. The zombies are just sort of the, you know, the cannibalistic life form that is the threat, but it's the way that you're treating people is the, is the, is the true sort of point of the story. So, um, so the walking dead is obviously quite horrifying in, in terms of that, I guess that narrative, but I also find the boys quite scary, not really horrifying as far as horror goes, but scary in the way that the way that we idolize certain people because of their popularity and how we will sort of just not think about the horrible things that they've done and sort of wash over it just because they're famous or popular or because we want a piece of them or because they're there for our entertainment and God be damned that they're, you know, that they're ever on TV again. I feel like that's quite scary that that's where we've gone to as a, as a culture. So yeah, I mean, even just like, uh, you know, um, most people I think have seen at least season one of The Boys by this point, um, and most of that sort of season is sort of covered in the first volume of the work but um, that Garth Ennis did. But I feel like looking at what The Deep does as a character is right. is quite um, horrific in terms of, you know, washing over it and then also... Uh, later on the deep is sort of kicked out of the six only because of the the sort of pr effect that's happening to them so yeah, yeah it's exactly. it's it's not actually what he did they don't care no. about that they care about the pr yeah <laughs> reputation yeah. yeah exactly so i think yeah from another angle it's kind of uh yeah, it's scary in that re- regard yeah for sure Hundred percent. No, that's crazy, man. I'm um, no. They, these are really. That's a really good point in terms of kind of framing this question, in terms of the fact that that's that's scary because obviously it's a commentary on what society kind of is like at the moment, um, mm-hmm. and and it certainly can be that. And 
often corporations are more worried kind of about their reputation rather than you know what somebody's actually done to somebody else <laughs> um, which is really worrying and scary <laughs> well it's i think it's just interesting that sort of that ennis saw that happening and that yeah, he's exactly. provided this sort of this commentary on it i mean I mean, yes, you could probably go back to the boys and just say that, I mean, some of the jokes in there that are very, you know, you could say that they're homophobic or what have you, but I've kind of always seen the boys as sort of a reflection of the the time and sort of like stepping back and almost watching this uh, this sort of car accident take place, but in slow motion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. Incredible. Uh, now, uh, moving on to uh, one of my favourite questions, and that is, what's your favourite cover? Uh, yeah, hands down, it has to be uh, the Uncanny X-Men number 141, uh, which is the Days of Future Past classic issue, where it has uh, Wolverine and Kitty Pride on the front, sort of trying to stay away from the, I guess, the constant barrage of Sentinels, so it's... Yeah, it's a hundred percent that one. It's also um, the 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 sort of the the cartoon version of that story is where I sort of really got into X Men. I actually got into X Men before the uh, in uh, by watching the cartoon first, not yeah, yeah not yeah, the comic. Sure. So for that, um, and and I think it's just iconic, like the the Days of Future Past uh, first issue. I mean, the cover. I mean. I'm pretty sure we could say that there's a variant on Kickstarter by some creator of that of that uh, cover at least once a year. So it's just always something that I feel that's just very iconic. It tells you what the the story is about just from the front cover. It's you know the old axiom: don't judge a book by its cover. Well, in this case, a hundred percent you can. You know exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. You you kind of you get the tone. Of the comic book, just from the front cover, you get the the sort of oh, yeah. the fear. It's very sort of, um, it's almost you know like a sort of a metaphor for sort of, um, I guess you know people of color being discovered by, you know whatever type of I guess you know white, um, um, I guess white supreme sort of. I guess allegory on trying to lock people up or get yeah, oust them, get rid of them, yeah, separation, yeah. get kick them out of society, what have you. I mean, there's even you know you could even say it's a, a bit of a sort of a um a, a take on on certain towns in the U.S. back in the 1950s and 60s, which if you were caught being a black person after a certain time in, in the evening, then game over, you know. So it's yeah. kind of it feels a bit like that to me. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, yeah, kind of behind uh, Wolverine and, and and Kitty Pride is like this kind of almost like a wanted poster, isn't it? But it's, mm. it's got kind of some of them have been slain, some of them have been apprehended, um, and yeah, you, you just you get so much of a feeling of what that story is about because obviously you got a spotlight on them. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, you've got the kind of like these wanted photos where some have been killed and some have been apprehended already. Um, mm. And now you just get an instant feeling for for what the story is. That's no, great. And I kind of, 
it kind of says a lot in terms of where we've gone or where comic book creators have gone now. I feel like there's mm. so many covers out there which don't say anything about the story inside. Mm. And now whether that's because the creators are so petrified about, you know, some kind of <clears throat> spoilers getting out there about what the the story is about or whether they're just trying to let their cover artist have a bit more artistic freedom. But I feel like the cover should be a representation and definitely a buy-in of why someone should pick up a comic book. And I feel like there's there's just so many releases out there which give you no reason to. Yeah, and it's kind of formulaic almost a lot of the ones um, these days, certainly from the kind of mainstream sources where it's not really, yeah, pushing the boundaries or, yeah, giving you a clue to what the story's about or the themes. It's really just like, ah, oh, just a big action piece or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 100%. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, this is obviously a classic and, uh, yeah, um, it's a great example of, of how a cover should be done. Mm. Great, 100%. Um, so uh, my next favourite question uh, is our next one, which is what's the most meaningful comic to you? So I opted for a comic series and I guess, uh, well, Knuckles the Echidna, which was published through Archie back in the uh, late 90s to sort of uh, late 2000s. Uh, it went for about, oh, actually early 2000s because it finished up. So it went for about 35 issues. It basically took the, you know, Sonic's friendly nemesis to a whole new level by exploring things that had been, I guess, seen and heard and looked at from different angles in the sort of the the, Mobi- the Mobius universe that uh, Archie Comics established for Sonic. So it went through things like the Floating Island, the Guardians that sort of, sort of pull the strings behind all of what happens in, uh, in Mobius. It also went through things like... Um, uh, the the supernatural uh, element of uh, of that. It also went into things like uh, racism was also covered. Um, yeah. uh, so it's a comic book that um, that was short lived, but the way it ended was uh, was lots of fun. Um, and it basically took really a just a very well loved. I guess IP to a whole new level. That's fantastic, and you know, you, you know what? I never knew that Knuckles was actually an echidna. <laughs> <laughs> I never realised that. I didn't know. That. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. The funny thing about that as well is, um, there's uh, so he is the guardian of the floating island, and then. Right. We uh, eventually you learn that the floating island was once part of this place called uh, Down Under, which Down Under is it's spelled D O W N U N D A, but it's basically sort of a metaphor for Australia. So it's kind of like the floating island was once part of Australia. So it's like, oh, so does that mean the floating island is Tasmania? What an odd sort of you know narrative that is 
<laughs> yeah, why not? I, mean, I, I don't know cool. if that's what they're going for, but um, you, you know, why like... not? Why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll have to try and um, you know, find out from the writers what they were getting at. Um, yeah, try... yeah, they'd probably turn around and say to me, "This is what you want to ask me." <laughs> all the things yeah yeah that's wicked though um that's great um and uh yeah so um why was it that it was it was so meaningful to you sorry um i think it's just being a kid you know it's just being a kid and just enjoying something that was fun it was i was also collecting like spider-man and uncanny x-men at the same sort of time and it kind of just went back to when I was younger I was still reading it into sort of like my mid-teens um and it just kind of took me back to you know just being a kid um uh yeah I get kind of nostalgic in the way that I look at things and you know will pick Mm. something up based based on how it made me feel so at the time so yeah, I think it was just that, just being a, a favourite for yeah. me when I first started reading it. It's a nice little uh, kind of a, a blanket <laughs> to wrap yourself up yeah, in. Yeah, pretty like much. A blanket, isn't it? Um, I, I, I love all that. Um, yeah, I've, I've got many of those, um, particularly at the moment. I'm uh, <laughs> wrapping myself in every single nostalgia blanket that I can. That's it. That's exactly it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, now, uh, moving on to another interesting question, and that is, what's the most underrated comic that you've read? So, this is out through Boom Studios, and it's called uh, The King of Nowhere. Now, it's about this this person who is basically this drunk, no-hope-a-loser. Let's just call him a douchebag, Sam. And he <laughs> ends up in this this sort of this town which is being experimented on by the government to the point where we have quite a few, like, anthropom- uh, the anthropomorphic sort of creatures and things like that inhabiting the right. town. They're, well, at least that's how they appear, but they're actually human. It's just they've sort of mutated to the point of no return. So mm-hmm. he ends up he, on a sort of a drunken bender. He somehow ends up in this town and he's sort of the outcast that's in there. And because he now is from the outside world and now knows about this this sort of this town, he it, there's like an assassin that's sent in to get him. So it kind of it goes from sort of this the story at the start was just like what what is happening to why should i care about this guy he's an awful person to um sort of like a like a western sort of uh walker texas ranger sort of firefight between the this assassin and the protagonist and the locals that have become his friend so and it sort of ends with uh I mean, it's been out for sort of six months. So, um, you know, if you haven't read it, that's that's your fault um, per person listening to podcasts. But it at the end, it kind of it looks at sort of humanity from the, I guess, at our most sort of at, a, at our failings. Like he has this opportunity to go back to his sort of his girlfriend and their child who's an infant 
but he decides not to because he realizes that to do that he's a you know he's an alcoholic he has an addictive personality to do that would cause them more harm so it's kind of an interesting look at our own failings and i guess how you know i guess how we should deal with them um but i guess the the art is by tyler jenkins and it's uh maxwell prince as the writer um I hope I've got that right and haven't uh, mixed those two up. But, um, yeah, that's mm-hmm. the creative team uh, behind it. So, um, uh, yeah, check that out. Um, I'm pretty sure there'd be a trade for it. It's five issues long. But, um, yeah, it's it's a real treat. Nice, man. I'm going to have to check that out. It sounds really, really interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting because at the start, you kind of feel like you're in this, this alone sort of post-apocalyptic town. Uh, where, um, where you know, there's nothing else. There's just that town. But then, as you start to get into it, it's just kind of like, oh, okay. So this is, this is, you know, something a little bit more nefarious. This is this town that's being experimented on. They're dumping, you know, vats or whatever into the water and it's creating all these mutations. So, um, yeah, it's fun. Somebody's up to no good. <laughs> someone's always up to no good in the government. What are you talking about? 100%, man, 100%. Uh, now, um, we, we come on to uh, the most difficult question, and that is for you, what is the best comic of all time? So I think I'm kind of at risk of people accusing me of copying uh, Banksy, who was on on your last episode. So um, uh, for me, it's definitely Watchmen. Um, now... Um, People can go, oh, Watchmen, that's such a trope and, you know, for a comic book fan to like. Um, it is, but uh, my defense is I have the Watchmen, you know, badge tattooed on my arm. So, right. you know, um, so I'm, I, I go really deep with Watchmen. It's it's a great sort of, um, if you're ever going to read an Alan Moore book, I feel like that's the one. It really flips you know, sort of superheroes on their head and society on its head as a whole. And I, I've i always been a fan of sort of alternate histories. And I guess um, whilst the squid is a fairly odd thing to throw in there, um, I think that's just Alan Moore, you know. Yeah. It was always meant to be a satire on society and, I guess the mm. worshiping of superheroes, and um, and I especially like how he he deconstructs superheroes to really just pull them back and reveal the layers of these are just people that yeah. can and do amazing things, but at the end of the day, that doesn't make them, uh, you know, Thor or you know Zeus or whatever. It, it just means that they're going to make shitty decisions like the rest of us so i mean i I think the comedian is the class example of that he's you know he he rapes one of the minutemen i mean it can't get any more horrible than that and he shoots a you know a vietnamese woman who's pregnant with his child so it doesn't get any worse than that but i think that it it definitely provides a bit of a a narrative on just how bad people can be and that doesn't make superheroes immune to that that sort of failing in humanity yeah it's uh yeah there's just there's so much to be taken from it um if if someone's listening to this and they're thinking about watching sorry reading the watchmen um i would say give it a shot it's 
It's very dense, though. Um, mm-hmm. I often joke that The Watchmen is my Bible, and just like the Bible, it's a very dense read. But if you sort of break it down and you 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 sort of you read, you know, one day you read like sort of what was the first issue that's now collected, you read the first chapter, and then, you know, go back to it in a couple of days and read another chapter, you'll find it's actually like it's very well thought out. It's, uh, I mean, I think that's why there's a lot, of, a lot of Watchmen copycats out there. Well, of course, yeah. It's um, yep. it's kind of it's it's basically the the, the pinnacle of, of comics and, and graphic novels, really. And it's something to kind of look up to. It's the it's the equivalent of Citizen Kane, really, mm. isn't it? Um, yeah. In yeah. in that respect. Um, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, yeah, and it was always meant to be a satire. Yeah. And the fact that there are so many copycats doing the same thing just goes to reinforce Alan Moore's point of why he'll never return to comics. It's because of behaviours like that. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and I think kind of find your own story, find what you want to tell. Don't just, you know, outright copy what, what is happening right there. Um, yeah. Innovate, don't imitate. There we um, go. There we uh, go. There's a writer. That we, should, we should all try and live by. <laughs> I think it just goes back to what I said earlier. It's just, just find your emotional truth, you know, find exactly. find your story, find the thing that you want to tell um, and, you know, make sure it's your, your honest story. It's your thing to tell. You should really just treat every comic book like this is the, the like if you were some kind of award-winning novelist to be that hadn't mm-hmm. written their book yet but was only ever going to write one book, then you should think about writing your comic book in that way. Think of yourself, if this is only the only thing I'm going to do, then I should make sure that, you know, my heart and soul and everything is in those pages. Straight up, man. Great advice. Um, And uh, moving on. I'm just the reviewer. (laughs) (laughs) sage advice Anthony Um, but um, if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse which would it be so that would be the Doom Patrol bronze omnibus because it would make a fantastic weapon um, as well as a great read and I've always found the Doom Patrol is just just lots of fun Um, uh, you know, it's the sort of misfits that have powers that want powers that just want it to be normal. Um, if you have not read the anything Doom Patrol, I highly recommend that you check out the show because it's very much, um, although it's not sort of the bronze age of Doom Patrol, it definitely is an homage to that type of stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I think... Um, it doubles as a as sort of a feel good story to get you through the apocalypse, but also a great weapon because it's pretty hefty too. <laughs> pretty much, yes, yeah. That, that's the point I was trying to relay. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, um, and uh, yeah, along with your uh, your hefty omnibus of uh, of Doom Patrol, what weapon tool or useful item would you like to take with you as well? Um, I think. I would want to take, uh, yeah, I'm kind of tossing up because on one hand, 
you could just take a weapon. But on the other hand, I'm thinking I'm going for something that's more sort of uh, that you're going to use. And I think that if there's no running water, if there's no electricity, sort of the base sort of requirements for survival is fire, right? So cooking, boiling water, all that type of stuff. So I think I'd, um, if there was some kind of lighter where the fuel never ran out, that would be great. So I'd take that. Um, but then if I want, if I sort, sort of wanted to barter with locals, um, uh, you know, grab, you know, a crap load of cigarettes because you'd be surprised how many people want cigarettes at the end of the world. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely. So I can give you a flint um, and, a, and a, um, a spark um thing um so you can get those flint sticks so that'll yeah um you'll be able to get some fire going um basically there we go um and there we uh, go cigarettes because uh, that that flint will last a long time yeah um, for sure and some cigarettes definitely definitely Thanks. super duper um well anthony pollock thank you so much for showing your comics for the apocalypse it's it's been an absolute pleasure thanks very much sam good to talk with you always um and for the listeners one more time where can they find you online so go to soda and com for all your sort of comic book review needs and go check us out on twitter which is at soda telepaths with an s perfect and again those those links are in the show notes folks so uh go check out anthony's work um and uh listen to his podcast and you've, you've got a new podcast coming out soon yeah, so it's um, so it's basically going. I'm going to be sitting down with people and talking about their kind of weird. So it's going to be a podcast. Well, the first couple of episodes are already recorded. It's going to drop uh, sort of end of February. The podcast is called My Kind of Weird, which each episode I sit down with someone and we both pitch each other their, uh, our kind of weird. So uh, it has to be something readable, something watchable and something listenable. Um, and then we just see if at the end of the pod, each person says that's my kind of weird. <laughs> I love it, man. I'm looking forward to it. That sounds like a lot of fun. We'll get you on, Sam. Oh, keen as mustard, mate. Keen as mustard. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, thanks again um, for for sharing your comments for the apocalypse. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm looking forward to to the day that our cro- our paths cross at a comic con. Yes, yes. Hopefully, you know, there's no intellectual, sorry, intelligent ape takeovers. So, um, although right now I'd probably welcome it. Um, so yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. Give me a better alternative. Um, but uh, no, absolutely, Anthony. Thanks again. Um, and uh, I'll see you on Twitter. Thanks, mate. See ya. See ya. Thanks again to Anthony for being in Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Anthony's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news, the comic club, and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.